everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show, You. Today we'll be covering the seventh episode titled Everything Ship, the eighth episode titled You Got Me Babe, the ninth episode titled Candace, and the tenth and final episode titled Bluebeard's Castle. Wow. So this episode, we're going to have a bit more of an open format since there's so much to uncover. As you can tell, we are covering the final four um, episodes of you since we did miss out last week and we thought you know what why not just put them yeah. all in one big show and just have Heck a nice yeah. big discussion so hopefully yeah, just you a guys little bit, sorry about last week i had a sick kiddo who kind of came down the last <laughs> minute so uh although in the doctor's office he had some a sucker before we got there and an ice pop so he was very energetic so he didn't seem sick while he was there but it was a lot of fun. They never do. Well, and, and how is he feeling this week? Is he feeling good. better? Yeah, he's good. good. He's, his temperature just finally started going down yesterday or oh, this goodness. morning. So he's in good shape. It was like 100, so not bad. But there's no puke or no like diarrhea, so that's that's, that's good. That's a good thing. That's because, yeah, it could be worse, right? Well, we're glad to hear he is feeling better, and everyone understands because we all – or almost all of us anyway, have kids or know what that's like. So, and it happens. So, and Hey, we got a nice little, little break in there. So, so I'm excited to jump in these four episodes. Like you said, we're kind of doing an open forum kind of setup on this. Um, cause there's a lot to digest and trying to do the top five. I think wouldn't do this justice, but <laughs> I don't to, think so. There's a lot to, to talk about. Oh yeah. And to me, <laughs> top level. So Netflix has kind of done this and I'm not sure, if Netflix produced the final four episodes of this or or how it worked, because there's a lot more cursing in this, like, last four episodes. I noticed that. And, you know, I th- I, I was wondering if – because as far as I can tell, because I only watched it on Netflix, not on Lifetime. My understanding is, is it was strictly uh, all on Lifetime. And, you know, Netflix just kind of picked it up after – and that's where the audience really picked up and where this show really took off and, and you know, really got quite a following. But I'm wondering because, you know, we see it and I'm just going to make a comparison to like with AMC because I watch a lot of shows on AMC. When Breaking Bad was on the air, they got to say the F word, you know, uh, like once a season or something like they were granted permission. Um, I think uh, Walking Dead was granted, mm-hmm. you know, the same same type of thing like they were granted in, oh, in your How'd he do it though? Daryl didn't do it very well, if I remember right. No, he's like you're fucking us. He said it like a little kid, like when he's like in the library. He's like you're fucking us, right? Yeah, it could, probably could have been used a little bit better if you're going to be granted, you know, one per season or something. Yeah. But um, that was my thing. But I was still kind of shocked because it was Lifetime. I was like, wow, I this shows how, you know, how I never watch Lifetime because I don't know what what is on there currently like I we were we had talked before in the earlier parts of the season with like some of the you know a little bit of nudity and some of the sex you know that was happening actually you know there was some I thought some you know at least for what I'm used what I would you know whenever I was at a girlfriend's house and that's all she would watch is Lifetime and I'm visiting her for a little bit I'm just sitting there in complete boredom while she's watching a Lifetime movie I don't remember seeing anything that graphic yeah you know not that I have a problem with it it's just 
it's lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's probably the first time in a lifetime series where we get to see a comeback from our probably my favorite character of the show, that pillow. Yes, and, the pillow and, has uh, come back. You got me, babe. She's <laughs> doing some dirty texting. She's like, "Yeah, I'm taking this pillow for a ride." Yeah, that was quite hilarious. Seeing that um, her putting that pillow to good use, it must be a favorite. <laughs> I still don't understand. You know, she can spend money on all these other things. A girl's got to have a good toy in in her yeah. side side table. Come on, every young lady's you know that I know has um, a little friend. I would think so. Yeah. But maybe just that tried and true pillow. I don't know. You know, sometimes the classics, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they do a better job sometimes. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I was kind of surprised. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Lifetime has moved on from from what I remember from so many years ago with their graphic nudity, again, with the pillow, um, and then some of the cursing. I was quite surprised myself. Yeah, and it didn't catch me off guard at first because, I mean, I'm watching on Netflix, and it's definitely branded Netflix. It says Netflix original and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd be I'd be interested to go a little deeper into it and see if like maybe they found out partway through the season that Netflix picked it up because they weren't getting picked up by Lifetime or right. or maybe they had intended to sell it to Netflix. They're going to kind of like a Netflix exclusive stuff. Like they yeah. kind of like were pushing the boundaries because they knew it was going there. Um, but that's definitely something I noticed pretty pretty heavily in these couple episodes. Mm-hmm. I agree. The other, the other thing, so episodes like one, two, and three, I think kind of kept my attention pretty good, but. Like a lot of these shows, it kind of started getting a little bit like a parody of itself in the middle. Like it wasn't taking itself serious. It was a little bit too kind of out there. But these next four episodes I think did a great job because you kind of get like – you see the fall or actually you kind of see the whole spectrum of Beck and Joe's relationship. You see them in everything ship where they're the cute couple. They're in love. But then you see they're falling out. Now you see that's three months later. You know, Joe's got a new girlfriend and they're kind of distancing themselves. And mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden it's very much that rom-com, very much romantic TV show where they figure out, no, we're meant for each other. And he comes running back to her. And then we get to see the dark side of this with Candace and Bluebeard's castle. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely kind of that full spectrum. And I honestly feel like they probably could have done a five-episode uh, season where you have just one more um, episode where you could have kind of combined a lot of stuff. Because these four episodes, I think, stood out on their own very, very well. They really did. And, and yeah, they could have probably there, – there's a couple of shows I've seen on BBC that there's six episodes, seasons. And, mm. you, you know, I remember thinking, how in the hell do you tell a complete story in six episodes? But I'm going to tell you what, they did it, and they did a really great job um, doing that. So I think it's certainly possible. And, you know, this is probably something, you know – I think that the most of the episodes, like you said, from you know, like the first – three maybe four were really you know would really grab you and I thought the story moved really well we got a lot of information it was good pacing and then in the middle it kind of lagged a little bit and then really picked up here in the end they probably could have condensed some of that and had like an a either six or eight episode I think um type series but I still think it was pretty good I'm interested to see what they do with season two now that it's fully under Netflix yeah. Um, you know, to see how that, that might change a little bit. Um, I, I'm sure it will probably still be 10 episodes, but I'm wondering, you know, if they're, you know, I'm just wondering the differences between the dynamic with have, you know, knowing that the show is going to be on lifetime, knowing that then, net, you know, then knowing it's moving to Netflix. So I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, and hopefully it, it, it kind of, you know, hopefully there's still a good story there. 
you know, but, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's my well, hope anyway. Um, and I mean, we had a lot of questions and things like that at the beginning of this. And I like that they kind of, they kind of told you a lot of it. Cause at the end of this, I think you know what Joe is. Yeah. You know, and it really was at the very end of episode 10, uh, about, probably about the middle to the end of episode 10. Cause you know, episode one through nine, you're kind of like, okay, like he says he's never killed anybody. Uh, he seems like he's just weird. Like you almost felt sorry for him in some extent. Cause you're mm-hmm. like, okay, well he killed, you know, her boyfriend or her semi boyfriend. Uh, it's like, okay, well he was kind of a D bag. He did kill somebody too. So that, that seems like not like great, but like, okay, TV land watching, you can kind of like write that off. The peach thing was a little bit kind of like, all right, that's, that's stretching it kind of self-defense to an extent, but he did attack her first kind of right. get into that weird zone. But Episode 10, you, you you know, understand 100% that Joe's got something wrong in his head. He is not right. Yeah. And, oh, the, the interactions between him and Mooney. So Mooney's kind of telling him, like, hey, you've got this this darkness that follows you just like me. I'm going to show you what you need to do. Uh, oh, man, it's just – it's. I want to see more of that dynamic too. Like I'm mm-hmm. hoping that we see in season two a little bit more expanding on that relationship because I feel like it's very much a – teacher student which is scary and one of the I'm, I'm kind of rambling at this point but like the whole Paco relationship yeah you know Paco's been exposed to this and he's leaving which I think is probably the best thing for Paco because if he has just a slight bit of that darkness in him I think being close to Joe's going to help pull that out even further yeah and and I'm glad you brought that up because Paco is certainly one of my points as well and it, it really you know just Paco's so sweet during this whole series, you know, he all he wants is to get his mom help and get her away from Ron. Um, and, you know, having Joe, even though Joe is absolutely terrible, I feel to everyone else and even to some extent to Paco in his own way. And especially during these last couple episodes, like when he's, you know, kind of instilling the same type of thing into Paco that Mooney did to him, telling him, you know, like, well, some people deserve, yeah, you know, to die. Um and then we even see that kind of demonstrated, you know, there in episode 10 when Beck is trying to escape from the basement and she gets to that door at the top and realizes she's still locked out. Paco hears yeah. her and, you know, he's kind of, you know, grippling internally with what to do, you know, should he let her go or uh, what's he do? And he ends up, you know, turning away. Yeah. And is that not a, like a horror movie scene? Like you yeah. get to a spot where you're stuck and you're like, like you're that close to getting away and like you have somebody there, your salvation, Paco, this kid, this innocent kid. It's like, he's going to kill me. Joe's going to kill me. And he's like, oh, uh, new phone. Who dis? Yeah. Shuts the door. <laughs> right. I know. And I wondered like, why did Paco make that decision? Is it because he's kind of, you know, is it out of loyalty to Joe? Cause Joe helped him with Ron. You know, we know, um, you know, Paco wax, Ron over the head with his baseball bat um, and knocks him out. Of course, it doesn't kill him or anything. And Joe kind of swoops in to help help him in the situation. And when Ron comes back, he, you know, throat stabs the guy and down he goes. And I certainly have no sympathy towards Ron. He was absolutely terrible. Did he deserve to die? <laughs> Probably not. But he certainly was a low life piece of shit, you know, yeah, for how he yeah, treated yeah. Paco, how he treated Claudia. You know, he was abusive. Um, and I mean, and just honestly, not a good up guy. to this episode, I'd probably say no. But after putting her in the hospital like he did, I would probably say yeah, because that's 
He definitely that's, deserves at least to have the shit beat out of him, yeah. and he deserves to be put in jail. You know, that's, you know, the least of what should have happened to him is someone beat the shit out of him like he did Claudia. And then, yeah, he deserved to have charges pressed against him and his ass thrown in jail and even lose his job, I feel, as a probation oh, officer. Yeah, yeah. I feel how how is he supposed to how can he, you know, try to help people, you know, in, in that situation if he's like that low life piece of crap. Mm-hmm. So I think I mean, you could compare Joe and him a little bit because they both are predators in their own sense, like a guy like him. He's got this power that he can use over somebody. Mm-hmm. He found Claudia, who's a single mother with a son. You know, she's got some drug issues. I don't know if he knew that beforehand. Maybe he helped push that, push her in that direction. Right. But he knows he holds the power because if she kicks him out or she turns him in, guess what? They're going to believe me, not you, and your kid's gone. He's in some system and you're going to jail. And so he's holding that power over her. Right. And, I know. And that's even more disgusting because it's like, does she, is that yeah. something that he's told her? You know, that, you know, if you leave me, you know, or, you know, whatever, that he's kind of put that over her head, you know, as far as, you know, if you leave me or if you do, if you, you know, turn against me, I'm going to call, you know, CPS on you or something and, you know, have your kid taken away and you're going to lose your job. Now look at Joe. Joe's got that same power over Paco, though. Mm -hmm. It may not be as intentional, but. Paco knows that, like, in that moment when he sees her and she's like, Joe's got me down, he's going to kill me, you know, he's thinking, like, okay, well, if if I let you out, Joe's going to jail, they're going to find out what I did to Ron, and I'm going to be taken away from my mother. Mm-hmm. And so this is just kind of his way of, I think he's just kind of processing all that, maybe unintentional, or uh, um, what do you call it, where you're not really thinking it? Like um, subconsciously? Subconsciously, or? yeah, thank yeah. you. Subconsciously, I think he's thinking that he's like, "Oh my gosh! Like, if if you get out, Joe goes to jail. I'm going to you know a youth home or whatever. I'm you know my mom's going to get thrown in jail. All these bad things are going to happen." So he just because Joe's been banging that in his head this whole season, yeah, telling him like, you know, if you kill Ron or if you do this, like, it's going to be much worse for you. And so you think what? So you think what Paco did there when he when Beck is is asking him to help her out of the basement? He's doing it out of fear and not so much loyalty. I think so. I think it, it's it's self preservation on his part. I think. Yeah. And maybe slight loyalty, but I mean, Beck was just as good to him as as he was as Joe mm-hmm. was. So right. It's, but uh, such a you know Paco's you know the things he's seen and I don't know how old he is. He's like nine, ten, twelve. You know, he's not very old. Yeah. But the things he's seen at that age is just ridiculous for a kid to see. And like, you know, I don't know if he's going to be in season two or not, but that 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 seems like a a loose end that could really come back to bite Joe for sure. Yeah, I mean, he because I mean, Paco definitely knows what he did, regardless if he if he's uh, acting out of fear or if uh, he's loyal to Joe. He knows what Joe did to Ron, yeah. um, you know, so it's something, you know, which. Joe hasn't had a lot of loose ends, you know, on the show before, you know, he's typically, typically taking care of a lot of those, but you know, Paco's different. So I don't know. It, it's kind of interesting and I like that perspective. Yeah. It's, uh, it's real, it's really interesting. This Joe character though. Um, Oh yeah. It's, you know, I think, uh, I think it was during episode nine. Yeah. I think it was nine when uh, Beck was asking Ethan about Candace. I was really digging into his past. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was talked about like, oh, you know, Joe, you know, tried to go after her. He was down. He wore the same sweatpants for like 10 days. 
and then you came into his life. So the whole Candace thing, I'm not sure if it's as long as we think. You know, maybe it was a couple months that she was gone or something like that. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of this episode, uh, it's only like a month or two after the events at the end, and Joe seems to be back on the hunt. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm very curious how, like, again, it just goes back to to when I talked about in the very beginning of this. I don't think Joe is an amateur at this. Like, I don't think Candace was the first person. I don't think uh, Elijah pushing him off the roof. I don't think that was the first person. I think there's a long history that him and Mooney have been covering up for years. It just seems like it's just too too simple for that not to be the case. Mm-hmm. It was quite interesting that scene with Mooney. Um, he's, you know, okay, well, get all of your clothes off right now and give them to me. You know, and he's kind of coaching him through this whole thing, you know, that, uh, you know, Joe's kind of standing there completely shocked at what he did. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting that, you know, Mooney would go that far for him and, you know, let him know. It's like, hey, you know, well, some people deserve it, you know, you know, so... <laughs> Well, that's that okay. It's not on you too. Yeah. Yeah. It's like some people deserve to die, you know? And I think a guy like Joe can talk himself into any, like Beck. Like I think he felt like Beck deserved to die and she had no, like there was nothing about her that re- required her to die except that Joe would get caught. Right. I know. And, and I know there are some people, I was reading some things online. There are people questioning if Beck is really dead um, because we didn't see her die and because he and because Candace comes back in the very end uh you know and it's like well is she real or is she uh like an illusion because we've seen Joe talk yeah. to Candace off and on throughout the series you know when she first popped up you know and he's kind of seen her he's dreamt about her we get the flashbacks with her is that so really my, her there in the end my question on that wasn't that the body he dropped the doctor's well house? and i don't believe that he didn't you know kill her i think he did um i I feel like it's been fairly confirmed because yeah he did have i mean we didn't see the body he had it all wrapped and taped up so we don't we don't see that it's back i don't know that we needed to it's not like i wanted to but it's like i think that's why people are questioning because we don't see her death. We don't mm. see her actual body that he's bringing. But we didn't see Benji's body either. I mean, we That's know true. Benji died. We saw him like decomposing in the, yeah. you know, in the murder basement. So we know he died. Um, but he also, you know, wrapped up Benji the same way and taped him up, you know, but when he was burning his body. Um, so I, I definitively believe Beck did die and that there isn't any question of that. But some people were kind of questioning because he tells Beck, he's like, I don't. I don't hurt the people that I love. And while we don't know at that time what's really happened to Candace, I think we could kind of speculate that, yes, he did do something to her. She's gone. You know, he's somehow done something to her. Um, And then, you know, he tells that to Beck. You know, he's like, I've only hurt the people who have hurt you or hurt the people that I love. Uh, And then Candace pops up in the end. So people are like, well, if he didn't really kill Candace— and he stays true to his word that he doesn't hurt the people that he loves, and maybe he didn't really kill Beck. And that's kind yeah. of the reasoning I have seen. Like I said, I don't quite believe it. I'm pretty sure that Beck is dead. And, I mean, she might pop up maybe like Candace has in maybe either his imagination, like if it's his, like, guilt kind of coming back. You know, he was dreaming a lot about Candace, you know, and 
and seeing uh, hallucinations of her when he was stalking Beth and Pe- Beth Beck and Peach, you know, at her estate. You know, we saw her a lot, so I think she's dead. But that's just something other others are saying online. I think for the most part, people believe she's dead. Yeah, I mean that'd be interesting. So if Candace really is dead, like, because there's a part in this where he she asked him if if she's gonna do to do to Beck what she did what he did to her. Mm-hmm. And so it would be kind of interesting, like in this this last scene, if it if it's not really Candace alive, but he's stalking somebody, and Candace is who pops up, and he's like, oh shit, okay, here it goes again, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like she's almost there to stop him, but this predatorial thing he has going on isn't going to let that stop him. Right. Well, it's interesting because I think clearly he believed Candace was dead. Uh, but then if she if if she was supposed to be dead, how does that explain those Instagram posts? I know that Joe has posted as Benji. He's posted as Peach. He's done the same with, yeah. with Beck. But how – But. How does he get the pictures? I when mean, I saw those, like he, so he's been gone for a week after that happened, right? And he told Beck he went to Italy to find her, and but then he says that he was with Mooney. And as I saw those pictures, the thing that went through my head is like he he could have basically photoshopped those pictures. You think so? That's the thought I had. So he went there. He took like pictures there. Posted from her phone there, so geotagging and everything was like, nope, this was in you know Rome, Italy, mm-hmm. and because it was like you know she changed her name and all this other stuff. So I kind of feel like that was probably, I don't know, my my theory is that was him photoshopping some pictures. It's possible. I think. I mean, because we know that he's capable of it. We've seen him, you know, take you know, kind of hijack other people's um, social media and and pretend to be them. So it wouldn't surprise me, but it it did. You know, because I think that's kind of what we thought at first. Like, oh, he's just totally, he's somehow manipulating that. He's making it look like Candace is still alive and she's really dead, but then she pops up in the end. So I don't know. Hopefully we'll get some some answers in season two. Because I don't know. I mean, we got to see the whole story of, or well, not the whole story, but we got the episode of Candace. Um, so, you know, we did get a little bit of insight into the relationship and kind of what happened, but we still definitively don't really know what happened there at the end. So maybe we'll get a little bit of that. Um in season two, but it was, I think, interesting. She was interesting. I think she was far more interesting than Beck. <laughs> yeah, I agree there. I mean, she was a rock star too. Like yeah. she wasn't just like this, like, cause I still feel like Beck was, she might've been an okay writer, but I feel like she didn't have the drive to be a writer. Mm-hmm. She was just kind of doing it as like, you know, this is what I should be doing. Not like this is what I want and should be doing. Whereas Candace is like, no, I'm a freaking rock star. Like I go on stage and I rock out and, you know, bang groupies. I bet Joe was just a groupie, right? <laughs> probably. Probably. Uh, apparently he didn't mean as much to Candace as what, um, you know, uh, she meant to him. So, and part of, I think, what really triggered him and, you know, him saying that she broke his heart. And um, so, yeah, but I, f- I found her far more interesting. Although I'll say I've given back like nothing but shit this entire series. And um, and that's not to make Joe come out to look like the, the good guy because I definitely am not saying that Joe is a good guy. I don't think there's anything likable, redeemable at all about Joe. But just because, you know, I give Beck crap and I want to be clear about this, you know, I can – you can – 
you know, point out flaws about characters, you know, and it doesn't mean that you're rooting for the bad guy or anything. So I, I just, you know, I, I'm, I don't even know why I would have to state that uh, really at this point, you know, I'm certainly not rooting for Joe or anything just because I give Beck crap. She has unlikable qualities and I enjoy pointing them out. <laughs> <laughs> but in everything ship, this, I've given her so much crap, and and then in the episode Everything Ship in episode seven, um, you know, we saw Beck when she's working at the bookstore, and she can't even manage to do what she needs to do at the bookstore. You know, all she has to do is put books away, um, and she can't even manage to do that. And I, I feel like she was just absolutely terrible. Um and, you know, she she tells Joe that he's smothering her and she needs to process, you know, what's happened with Peach. And I just feel she was just just terrible. Um, but then in episode 10, well, and even in 9, when she's like, it was fun to see how she kind of turned the tables on the stocking and the oh, obsession. Yeah. So I really like how she was kind of taking a lot of the same things that Joe was doing and, you know, doing that and finding out what happened with with um Candace and I I laugh because I think I think we've all to some extent kind of stalked someone online a little bit like you you know l- you know find out who their Facebook friends are and then it just kind of leads you down a, a like this down this rabbit hole right of looking at their pictures and finding out about them. I mean, I certainly have never went as far as like what Beck did, but it just kind of was funny how she's looking at the tagged people on Instagram (laughs) and, you know, where are they at? And, you know, like you said, with like the geo tagging and stuff and, Oh, this person's in Brooklyn and I'm going to go find them in Brooklyn. I want to talk to them and get the story. And just thought that was really interesting how she kind of turned the tables on Joe and she then became the stalker and, you know, became obsessed with finding out what was happening or what had happened with Candace and getting the story very similar to how Joe stalked her in the beginning and used her social media against her, you know, to kind of, kind of find out information about her, find out about her friends. Um, of course it was totally for, you know, not great purposes. And he totally assumed a lot of things, you know, when he would see, he would talk about how she dressed and he'd talk about her friends and, you know, seeing Benji and things like that. He made a lot of incorrect assumptions that wasn't right, but, um, it was just fun to see how the tables had turned. But so I did think that was interesting. I thought it was probably the most interesting thing that we got to see, uh, from her. But then in the last episode, her, um, I guess it's like a monologue while she's writing at the typewriter and she has that little speech. Um, I loved that so much and I found it online. So if people want to see the full um, script of what she wrote when she says, you used to wrap yourself in fairy tales like a blanket, but it was the cold you loved. Um, I loved that whole thing. And when she talks about, um, and you knew somewhere deep it was too good to be true, but you let yourself be swept because he was strong enough to lift you. Um, and then she says, uh, didn't you want this to be loved? Didn't you want him to crown you? Didn't you ask for it? Didn't you ask for it? Didn't you ask for it? So say you can live like this. I mean, if you've ever that this whole thing that she talks as she's type as she's typing on the typewriter, if you've ever been in any kind of like abusive relationship or someone has semi stalked you or been obsessed or something like that, um, a lot of those words are going to ring true <laughs> for um, a lot of people because I know it did me and. I feel like this episode, Beck, 
Maybe not so much the actress, but Beck became more interesting. And I think this is when she became a better writer. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, I was concerned that there was going to be a little bit of like that Stockholm syndrome. Mm-hmm. And like it was going to end up that she wasn't trying to escape. I'm glad she put up that fight to try and get away. Yeah. Um, I'm glad we kind of see that Joe is kind of dumb to that, but even still to some extent smart. Because in the first set situation, she's trying to get out. She wanted to use the bathroom. Right. And he caught her glance. You know, it was like a very subtle glance at the stairs. And I think that's when he realized, like, oh shit, like you're just trying to get away. But he still falls for it a second time when he gets stabbed. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I kind of think Beck kind of screwed up on, which is like Tiffany watched this with him again. I told her, it's like you always double tap, you know, you, yes. you make sure the job is done. Like, and she did a little too much monologuing too. Mm-hmm. Like when she was sitting there telling Joe, like all this stuff, it's like, you know, grab the keys and go. Cause, you know, even if he can't get out, like even if you're 100% safe, like don't monologue. Just get out, get to help, and get the dude thrown in jail. Exactly. It frustrates me to no end, you know, because we see it all the time in scary movies. And to see it again in this show, when you've got a guy who you know has murdered at least two people, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you seem to really know that for sure. He's even kind of admitted it to an extent. You always, even if you don't, because, you know, I say, yeah, smash the guy's brains in until oh, yeah. he can't, you know, but also that's really easy to say. I don't know if it were me, if I could literally take someone's life that way, but I would certainly make sure yeah. that he was, I know, I, I'm not saying I can't, I just, I, it's hard for me to really imagine, take, you know, because it's, yeah. it's, it's easy to say, oh, well, I'll, I'll kill you for it or something. But I think if, I don't know if I'd be able to actually kill, um, at least on purpose, but I know I would at least be doing as much as I could to incapacitate him to where he's not, like, I know he's incapacitated. I know yeah. he's not going to chase me up the damn steps and find me and also to leave the damn keys in that door. Yeah. Oh my I mean, word. That's one of those things I don't like, I wasn't really expecting there to be like a, a double cage there. Like I was expecting the door to be locked, but not like this. I mean that like we've talked, we've called this a murder basement. It's a legit murder basement that I did not. I don't remember seeing that door at mm, all. All the I times that Joe's come in and out, like when Paco was sneaking down there, you know, when he was going down to get those extra books. I mean, we have never seen that little extra gated. You yeah. Know, door. I just that was, it was creepy. Like a door. But that that explains why like why is Ethan never been down there? Oh, because he doesn't have a key to get through this gated you know door. Right. It's not just a door; it's a gated door. Like there's a door, and then this weird looking gate thing. Which, I mean, honestly, like if I if I go to anybody's house and I'm like, hey, let's go to my basement, and they have one of those, I'd be like, no, I'm good. I know, and it's like why you can't even really buy the excuse that it's extra security to protect the inventory. I know that those are really treasured and you know, high valued books that are kept in that basement in that cage, but the cage itself is its own level of security. So even if someone manages to bust down that wooden basement door, they're not going to be able to get into that glass yeah. cage. So, and That's it's true. locked and protected. So why is that extra door there? You know, to, I mean, I don't know, it looked kind of old. Maybe it's original to the building. I don't know. I mean, we know a lot of those buildings in New York are pretty old and this one, looks old, but um, it certainly adds to the creepy factor. Well, that's what I think he was talking about uh, how Mooney had put that, because I think uh, Beck asked what the the little two-way door was for, and he said that Mooney did that for money transfers. 
So as a way, I guess, like somebody would be like, hey, I want this really expensive book. It's like, which again, doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you go down there? You know, you've got all this security to be like, okay, now you can come down the steps and get this book. Like, I feel like that's a murder glass house. Like that, that's, that glass house has probably seen more than that basement needs to see. Cause it mm-hmm. just, you know, between Mooney and Joe, the creepy factor is just there. Yeah. Something was off. That's for I sure. The biggest F use too is when Joe's like, you know, he had a spare key hidden there, which mm-hmm. is something I, I kind of thought about, but didn't think about too deep. Like if, if Joe was gone, wouldn't you start like looking for something like that? Or trying to figure out a way to get out by taking the chair or the typewriter and just banging it against the glass. Yeah, I would think. I don't know. Uh, it's just so many things that were wrong in, in that one scene there. And that, um, you know, I just I wanted Beck to be just a little bit smarter. I, I was giving her a lot of credit just for playing Joe's game. You know, and kind of going along with his story. And he was totally buying it, you know, when she's talking about, you know, how she wrote that story that was essentially, she just basically summed up the entire first season of You, but instead put Dr. Nikki, you know, in the place of Joe and told Joe what he wanted to hear. And because he is so like manic at the time, you know, you can just tell by looking at his faces, his, he looked like he hadn't been sleeping, you know, his face was kind of withdrawn. His eyes looked kind of sunken in. He was like in this just manic state. And I think he was also hearing what he wanted to hear, you know, because he basically put back in this little murder cage to teach her a lesson. You know, he didn't want to hurt her. He says he's, you know, she needs to learn a lesson. Uh, and he thinks that she's finally learned that lesson and he sees that she's starting to write because he, she wasn't writing before and he was very frustrated with that. Cause he's like, if you just write, you know, then, you know, this is, this is going to help you. And, you know, she, she's kind of resistant to that in the beginning. And then when he sees that she's finally writing and kind of warming up to, he thinks that she's finally been in there long enough to learn her lesson. So I did like that. And I like, you know, I'll give her credit for that, but I was so frustrated that she wasn't just a little bit smarter, but I don't know. I mean, I guess if you don't watch a lot of those shows, you don't read a lot of those stories, you don't know how to react in that situation. You just, you're just fighting for your life, you know, and that's what Beck did. She did fight for her life. So about her memoir that she wrote, uh, I know she put a lot of the Dr. Nikki stuff in there, which was kind of a lot of work on her end, I think, to kind of give a, a little bit of a, you know, dodge to Joe, be like, Hey, I wrote this whole thing so we can be together as a way to get him there so she can get out. Mm-hmm. Did I catch it right? Did Joe tweak what she wrote even more? Cause I wasn't quite, I know he mailed it to, to Blythe. Yes. Like Blythe. Yes. Um, so I'm not sure if, cause I thought he said something in there about like tweaking it or something like that. Cause I felt like there's some holes that he may need to kind of cover up to help fulfill the story he was trying to tell. He, I I don't know if he did. I don't remember that part. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just honestly don't remember that. But it wouldn't surprise me that he did. Like if he did try to help fill in a few of the gaps to the ending, because I don't know how far uh, Beck took the story, if she mm-hmm. really did write it out. and Because and, I think essentially what the book was is she's kind of predicting her own death, Mm-hmm. And stating that Dr. Nikki does it instead of Joe. Joe, you know, Joe's not the one, but it's Dr. Nikki and kind of points all the fingers at him. I wouldn't be surprised if he had a few tweaks in there just to ensure that that's where things went. But my assumption was, and what I thought is that Beck essentially wrote, wrote the whole story. I gotcha. 
which I mean, you kind of think about, so we, I think there's a, a theme in here you could really kind of point to is kind of people using people mm-hmm. because I, in the last 10 minutes, you kind of see it here. Cause you know, Blythe, you know, she's doing an interview and she talks about when she first got the, the memoir and heard about her death, she just had to get it to her publisher. And, and, you know, in that situation, like there's some notoriety for her, of course, uh, her friends, you know, she's got an Instagram, uh, friend who's all about, you know, the follows and stuff like that, who had some, you know, uh, social media, you know, picketing for a while. Now she's in the limelight again of having, you know, some sympathy towards her. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even to the extent, you know, Beck used Peach's, um, Peach, uh, her death, she, you know, she went viral for something she wrote. So she kind of used that to an extent, although I don't think she purposely did that. And so you just kind of see all these people that are supposed to be friends or supposed to be like caring or loving of somebody and they kind of use it for their own gain, mm-hmm. which is, is kind of an interesting take on a lot of this. Because, you know, Joe uses Paco to an extent. I think Paco at the end used Joe. Um, Paco's mom, I think, kind of utilized Joe a little bit more probably than she needed to. Um I don't know. It's just kind of, I think that's an interesting theme to kind of think about a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that with everyone stating, you know, like it's so easy for them to believe what happened, you know, as they believe that it happened with the way Beck tells it in her story and how Joe, you know, has just kind of perpetuated that. It's like what he says earlier is that people just, they believe whatever's in their worldview. And that's, you know, that's what they're all getting as well. And it just fits the story and that's what they see it as. So that's what they believe. Um, So, yeah, I I totally believe that 100%. And it's just kind of sad. But the whole Dr. Nikki thing was kind of interesting. What did you think about Dr. Nikki when we were, because we were first introduced to him a couple episodes back. Yeah. So it was funny because when he came on, I saw just this doctor with a beard and, there's a quick cut of him and it bounces back. Um, what I really like is, well, let me talk about this first, I guess. And then when they did a second cut back, I'm like, holy shit, that's John Stamos. <laughs> I know, right? Like, it took like the second time. And I think Tiffany watched it about halfway through and she kind of said the same thing. Where she was like, is that fucking John Stamos? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I loved uh, in, I think it was May, it was every, I think it was You Got Me, Babe. Uh, because we see kind of the the interaction between Beck sessions and Joe sex- sessions, and Joe goes in as Paul, and I like that he kind of tweaked his story to be that you know he was in a you know gay relationship kind of thing. Right. So it was, him and you know, Ronaldo, his, <laughs> yeah, his boyfriends. Which I don't know if that was just a way to kind of completely take uh, Doctor Nikki off of his trail. Uh, maybe that was kind of his goal to see like, is Dr. Nikki into guys? Uh, because at this point, like he's like, you know, Beck's fucking her therapist. Like she, she cheated on me. I know she cheated on me, mm-hmm. which we find out it's true. Like that's what happened. Right. Like if, if we were let off of that for a while, like, Oh no, oh, yeah, she yeah. didn't. Oh, but no, she did. You yeah. <laughs> and and they have a, a coming together at that where it's like, okay, like I did that. I'm sorry. I feel like Joe's biggest thing in relationships is cheating. Like, I feel like that's what that just, betrayal. I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, I get that. I mean, if, you know, I think my biggest fear in life is like that besides like take killer Joe out of the picture, but <laughs> you know, the Joe of like you like, Hey, I'm just going out for, you know, cigarettes. And it's like, but you don't even smoke. 
and you hear the door shut. You're like, wait a second. And, but you, know, you just have that fear of like, okay, what's really going on? Yeah. And you feel guilty for having those thoughts, but you just don't know. And then when those thoughts are, you know, get proven one way or the other, you never win. Like if you find out it's like, no, they really were doing this. They weren't cheating on you. Like, oh, well, I feel like a piece of shit. But if you go out and find them like he did, you're like, oh my God, I feel like a big piece of shit even now. Mm-hmm. But what's funny about that is I think, you know, there's a big hi- hypocritical line that Joe crosses here. So Joe to me is he's selling you as the guy who thinks cheating is the worst thing ever, which I would agree with. I think that's a very dishonorable thing to do to somebody you're in a relationship with. Mm-hmm. He finds a girlfriend after Beck who they seem like they're not like perfect for each other. Like they're very different people, but they seem to like have a good relationship. They seem to fall into a pretty nice routine loving relationship. Yeah. She's yeah. like like she seems super awesome. Like she cared. Like she helped out uh Paco's mom. Mm-hmm. She took care of Joe like crazily. Like it seemed like, you know, sex was all the time, which is always awesome. Of course. And he just cheat like he leaves her for Beck. He cheats on Beck or he cheats on her with Beck. I and, know. He's just the thing- doing the the thing that he considers the worst <laughs> exactly like that this is the guy who's like you know you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do this and then he goes to the back and does that but do you think it's he justifies that maybe because he doesn't truly love karen i mean they i don't know that they i don't know i'm trying i'm struggling to remember if they actually ever told not i'm not saying this justifies it by any means but he seems to be of the mind that with as much as he loved Candace, with as much as what he loves Beck, that that is an ultimate betrayal. But it's kind of okay because maybe he doesn't truly love Karen like he does Beck. I mean, he's still obsessing over Beck the entire time he's with Karen. He's still checking her Facebook, um, you know, because you can, you know, he's not quite over her. He's still kind of saying, you know, she's the one you know, while he's with Karen. So I'm wondering if maybe that's why he doesn't see it quite as the injustice, you know. Do you think, do you think if, because Karen seemed pretty like strong-willed, like she didn't seem like somebody that could be controlled. She seemed like she was her own person. This is just how it's going to be. Do you think that turned Joe off? So once he found out that Beck was still on his line, that he was going to drop the person that he knows he can't control and go to the person he can? Maybe. I think that makes sense. Hmm. And and the other thing you could say is like, was he using Karen the whole time? Well, I mean, probably just a little bit to get over Beck a little bit. You know, he had just, they had broken up, you know, um, he and Beck and he stumbles, I mean, fresh off of his breakup from Beck, he, you know, is, you know, Karen grabs him there in the hall and, yeah. you know, lays one on him and they don't waste any time getting busy. And, no. and you know, they always say the best way to get over someone is to get under someone else. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like every time I've been dumped, that's always been my dream. Like I'd walk back to my dorm room or I'd walk down the street and somebody'd be like, hey, what's going on? I'd be like, oh, I just broke up with my girlfriend. Like, you know, I'm over here. I'm gonna I, just, I don't know why I did a guy's voice. Over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to tell something, Sean. <laughs> but um 
I I plead the fifth. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I, but I think it could be a very effective way. You know, when you're down in the dumps, and you know, hey, how what's gonna what's gonna lighten the mood? What's gonna bring you out of your your foul mood and your depressed mood? Other than um, you know, kind of getting busy with someone else, or you know, kind of getting your mind off of it. And it certainly, she certainly helps him. You know, kind of get over back a little bit. You know, he's he's only checking her Facebook three times a day. Yeah, after and all. Just for her benefit, you know, just to make sure everything's okay. Just because he wants to make sure she's happy. <laughs> if he, if he she's say. not happy, he's not happy. That's what he when says. When she uh, when she went social media dark, he's like, "How am I supposed to get over you if I can't get over, or if I can't? Or wait, how am I supposed to be great with you being gone if you're really gone?" I know it's oh, such a funny line, and it's hilarious because I think you know some of us have all still you know not quite gotten over that one you know, love in our lives that, you know, really kind of struck us. And we're still, even if we have moved on with someone else, we we're still kind of, you know, hung up on, on someone to an extent and, you know, kind of still think about them or you check them out on social media or you're still somehow, you know, still kind of thinking about them a lot. So I, I, I feel like that's somewhat normal. You don't always get over, you know, that, that one person that you truly loved and that kind of broke your heart. But um, anyway, that well, whole think, thing with Karen think- was interesting. I think Beck kind of did that though. Like, so uh, whenever you break up with somebody, I think it's always more of the like you. Whenever if you go and see like a picture of them or you see them out in public, mm-hmm. um, or I think like high school stuff, like you're you're completely around them all the time. Like you want to be like, well, oh my god, there was so and so, and that person's ugly. Like they're they're obviously like miserable without me. Yeah, I th- I think that's what like it's very petty, obviously, but you want to be like, well, I'm I'm much better off without them, but they're much worse off without me. And I think that, you know, in Beck's scenario, she's like, oh, my God, like, Karen and Joe seem super happy. And then you kind of have like, like, it's Joe is playing that like, oh, well, I'm better off without you, but you're far worse off without me. Pulling those strings, playing that part and kind of like reeling her back in. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, Beck seemed to have kind of the same same thing. She was kind of in her own way, still not over Joe and kind of obsessed with him. She's asking Blythe, well, you know, how's Joe? And oh, who's he dating now? Karen, you know, and when she's supposed to be writing, uh, you know, in her, um, in her room, she's kind of unplugged and she's supposed to be writing. What does she do? She gets up and she goes into Joe's neighborhood where she knows she's going to run into them. And, you know, so she's kind of out there, you know, and she's kind of obsessing. She's talking to Dr. Nikki about them. You know, she's stalking Karen on her Facebook and she's complaining about Karen. You know, oh, well, she adds stickers to her pictures, you know, yeah. in, in this condescending type of tone. I'm like, oh, God, I think I've done that a few times. What's <laughs> Everybody's is that, done is that. Is that bad? You I, you're a liar. Should I not be putting it? I don't do it all the time, but I've done it a couple of times just kind of playing with it. Anyway, um, but what I found really kind of sad about that is when she does, when Beck runs into Joe and Karen as she's at that food truck, and she says that she's just taking a walk around the block. I'm like, really? Yeah. She's a fiction writer, and this is the best that she comes up with. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. This is this is this is just 101 class here for when you're going to do this type of thing. When you are going to be in the same area, if you're, if you're checking up on a boyfriend and you want to, you know, 
check them out face to face, you know, your old boyfriend and his new girlfriend, you have a story in your head about how you just happen to be there or how you come to be there. She should have already had the story in her head just in case she ran into them. And the fact that she could only come up with taking a walk around the block and didn't have this pre-written in her head was lame. Yeah. What well, is ex-girlfriend 101? So I don't know if this is ex-girlfriend 101, but she definitely played uh, – like she was definitely trying to get back to Joe – or get back with Joe. Like whenever they start moving in with, or they start helping Blythe and uh, um, Ethan, Ethan move in. You know, mm-hmm. she's wearing those tight pants. She's bending over. Of course, that's all Joe can think of. Of course. And you know, she's sending them pictures of. Like I thought she was going to send a, a dirty picture when she's like, "Hey, do you want to see some of my author pics?" Yeah. She's like in a towel. But she does take a picture of a book on her legs with her towel kind of pulled up, showing off her legs. That in of itself is, you know, that's no-no territory. She shouldn't even be texting him at all. Yeah, well, and honestly, like, and this is how I've always been because I'm, I, again, I'm very anti-cheating. Like, it's, it, like, even if it's, like, remotely close, I always kind of, like, back away quickly. Whenever I've broke up with somebody, instantly I'd block them. Block the oh, Facebook, yeah? block them from my phone. Because there's nothing good that can come from that. Like, Taking no chances, good. huh? <laughs> exactly. Because there, there's been situations where I've had an ex like send me like a very long Facebook post or something like that. And it's like, oh, you can reply to that, but why open that door? Mm-hmm. Like you've been down that path, it crumbled, it failed, just cut ties and move on. That's just my personal opinion. You know, that's probably pretty good. That's probably a pretty good idea. I'll I'll admit. I, I've had some not so proud moments in, um, you know, when you have these terrible breakups that happen, I can be a little reactive um, in the moment and be a little impulsive with reactions that don't always turn out in my favor. And, um, y- you know, and then, of course, looking at it in hindsight, you're like, oh, my God. God, why did I do that? You are such an idiot. Why? Someone needs to, you know, smack the phone out of my hands sometimes. <laughs> I <laughs> That's need- why blocking is very handy. <laughs> I need, <laughs> you know, I need that friend who I need that like little, either that little angel or the little devil, which everyone wants to take the turn of <laughs> smacking the phone out of my hands. Um, back in the day, probably, you know, before cell phones existed, because I'm that old, you know, whenever I was actually dating a lot more, um, you know, I probably just need someone to just talk me off the ledge. I Sometimes I did have someone talk me off the ledge and say, you know what, that's probably not the best action you can take in this moment. And I'll forever be grateful for those folks. But other times when I didn't have those people, I really wish I did. And I really wish some days I had someone to just knock that phone out of my hands and say, you know what, take 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> rethink that decision before you go do that. And you know what? They'd be right every time. Um, yeah. But you brought well, a... I- <laughs> go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'll just say, and my thing with that too, it's always, I always feel like it's unfair to the person you're with. Cause like Joe did this to Karen, you know, Karen cared for him. You know, she probably assumed that he was over Beck. Uh, and she like, she didn't deserve what she got. Although she's probably totally. alive now because of it. But right. I, and that's, that's why I'm always kind of like, cut stuff off because if you're with somebody at that point, it's just not fair to them to do that to them. Cause again, it's kind of my thoughts like, well, they don't know what's happening, but I feel like that's the worst thing to have happen to somebody in yeah. my opinion anyway. Yeah. 
it was definitely a slippery slope that they started to travel down once they started, you know, um, when, when she texted him when she's walking away after running into him in his neighborhood and they start texting each other. And first it is just seems to be like in a harm, harmless, friendly type way. Hey, I'm just friends with my ex, which is always, I feel like, dangerous territory because it's so easy to slide right back yeah. into that comfortable, you know, area that you had before. And Beck has totally realized, you know, she she was really angry at Joe saying that he was smothering her and she wasn't allowed to breathe. She needed to think through things. She was trying to process what happened with Peach. Totally understandable, um, you know, with what she was saying, but then turns around and realizes that she really misses him and, you know, I guess wants that in her life um, and realizes what she was missing out on and that Joe. Now, of course, we know the reality about Joe. Beck does not yet know about the reality of Joe. So she's just seeing that good guy. You know, he loved me. He cared for me. He did all of these things for me. Um, and I, and I let him go like an idiot. So, but it's definitely a slippery slope. And I thought it was really inappropriate when she's, you know, sending this picture clearly just in a towel and the picture of that book. I mean, that, that wasn't going to go anywhere good. And then they did carry out and that wasn't fair to Karen. Although, like you said, it probably, probably could have very well saved Karen. She's alive to tell the tale. Um, you know, and even warned Beck about, you know, what she, what little she knew about Candace and saying she hoped she didn't end up like her. So, you know, I thought that was but interesting. That being said, like I said, if they shot this for Netflix or a Lifetime movie, they had some pretty hot sex scenes. That's for sure. They There was. I like, was They were shocked. like Skinamax almost. Maybe I need to start watching some Lifetime again. I don't know if this is, <laughs> <laughs> if this is, Lifetime's the new Skinamax. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. It Lifetime, was, no longer about killing your husband, more about boating on top of a ship. I say it used to just be, and I'm not dogging it. If you love Lifetime and love the movies, that's fine. But it just always seemed there was some psycho woman, you know, killing her husband or some uh, husband who was beating and killing his wife. And oh, it yeah. just seemed like the same story every day, every week. And to me, it was just boring. Um I just thought they were poorly written, poorly acted, um, and I just didn't find them very interesting. But if you love them, then please have at them. But I don't know. Maybe I need to to check out some more Lifetime. I don't know. But you uh, you yeah. brought you brought up Blythe and Ethan, and I thought that was an interesting little pairing. Wasn't that kind of adorable when they yeah. meet at Beck's? birthday surprise birthday party is they're all dressed as literary characters and they happen to just meet eyes it was absolutely adorable i thought and totally unexpected um and i'm actually found myself warming up to blythe a little bit a little bit yeah she still seems a little condescending um yeah just a little again again you wonder if it's if it's because like when she was in uh beck's apartment she's like you know basically kind of go old school we're cutting out the wi-fi all this other stuff which might have been more of the tough love. It's like, mm-hmm. listen, this is, I'm doing this for you, which again is kind of another theme. A lot of people trying to do things for you. Uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. She, she was definitely, now she, she had, did have her moments. Like she's sitting there, what, making tea or something as Joe and Beck are hauling in all of her furniture and her boxes into this new apartment that her and Ethan have gotten. And I'm like, geez, you know, that's, <laughs> you could at least be acting like you're doing something, but she's just casual, casually making tea. But she had some really great dialogue. And I thought it was interesting that between this time that uh, her or Beck and Joe have been, 
broken up, the, the relationship between Blythe and Beck has grown in that time. And um, I did not expect it, but I, I like Blythe's dialogue. I thought that she had some really funny lines. I, I really like how she apologizes for being late to drinks with, there was this essay in the believer that would not let go of me. (laughs) I I thought that was, I just laughed because it just was funny in that moment. And then you mentioned when she is in Beck's apartment, I really, she was definitely controlling in that way, but I think she was really trying to help Beck in that moment. And she was even making her take her phone. She says, surrender thy phone. She says, goodbye, Instagram. So long, Facebook. Goodbye, Twitter. She says, I'm freeing your mind. And Beck is just freaking out at the fact of not having all of her apps and not yeah. having access to her social media. And she and Beck says, I can't just go dark out of nowhere. And Blythe just gives her this look and says, you're not J.K. Rowling. We'll all be <laughs> fine if you take a time out. <laughs> I laughed. I had to pause. Pause it so I could, you know, laugh for a couple minutes over that because I, I thought that is absolutely hilarious and so spot on. The fact that, you know, oh, Beck's followers might get worried if she's not online for a while or something. And <laughs> she's like, get over yourself. You know, we're going to be okay if you're not online for a while. So I really, really enjoyed that. So I enjoyed Blythe these last couple of episodes more than what I did before. So that was a nice little twist. Um, that I liked for me. So, so as this, uh, series wrapped up, uh, it left us on a cliffhanger with Candace showing back up. Did this kind of make you very excited for a season two or you still, are you feel kind of wishy-washy on it or like, what's your thoughts on how it ended and kind of it moving into a season two? (laughs) Well, I, (laughs) I don't know. I have mixed feelings about how it ended because Joe ends up getting away. Um, He's, I believe, killed Beck. He's killed all of these other people and he's gotten away with it. And it feels like it's just another story about how, you know, this complicated guy, uh, you know, we get the backs. I don't know that we got the entire story, but we certainly got a lot of story about Joe and his parents have abandoned him and Mooney takes him in and puts him under his wing. But then Mooney turns out to be kind of a real twisted asshole that kind of twists Joe's mind even more. I think Joe was already messed up, but I think, you know, being the way he was treated by Mooney, he was locked up in that murder cage. He was you know, put under some really kind of weird torture situations and, you know, fed these things um, by Mooney the same way that he was feeding these things to Paco. So I feel like we were getting all this story about Joe and he gets away with murder. Um, but for the female, well, we don't get a lot of backstory on her. She's not very interesting. In fact, she's downright annoying. I, I haven't read the books, but they said in the books she's written to be annoying. So I guess she really did her, you know, the actress really did a great job because I was annoyed as hell with her. Um, but I was just, you know, kind of like, well, I don't know how I feel about a season two because it's like I, I just feel like it's kind of going in that direction where he just gets a, gets away with it. It's just another story of, you know, this guy getting away with these types of things and, you know, violence against women. But again, it was such a good season. There were so many fun things, you know, to like this, you know, crazy twisted series was just, just a fun ride. I mean, if you don't take it too seriously, it was just a lot of fun, had some good writing, had some funny moments. 
Um, so in that way, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing season two. And especially with, since it ended on a cliffhanger, I want to know what happens next. So I have kind of two sides. What about you? I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty pumped because I feel like how it ended, it, it definitely made Joe more clear what he is. I mm-hmm. think through this whole first season, I was trying to figure out like, you know, is this just, is he just starting this? Is he, is he actually just more lucky than smart? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just, I, I just wasn't sure. Cause I mean, like we talked about, I was like, well, is this guy like a Dexter or is he just more like, you know, uh, an Elmer Fudd kind of thing? Like what, what is he, what is he? Right. And I think at the end, like we kind of learned that. And and there's so many questions with Candace, like, you know, are him and Candace in some kind of weird cahoots together? Mm-hmm. You know, like did, did he kill Elijah because Candace and him were working together? Like is Candace the one actually pulling the strings? Um, so I think, you know, season two can go a lot of different places. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. I definitely would want to check it out. The, the cool thing too, uh, you know, if we're talking season three, so you mentioned like you know he gets away, he gets away, he gets away. What I think they should do is season two he gets arrested, season three he starts stalking an inmate. Oh, well that would be interesting. Yeah, he's like Bert. Bert <laughs> caught my eye. He walked in with his prison uniform cut a little short, wanting to show off his legs, but he he didn't want attention, but he wanted attention. Right. Well, and. I mean, I think that the series, and not that I know, I haven't read the books, so I don't really know how anything really ends, but I feel like at this point, it can't end any other way than Joe dying at some point. Like, he has to to kind of die. There's no redemption for him, uh, you know, at all. I feel like he has to die, but... That's just my speculation because I don't, I haven't read the books. I almost kind of want to a little bit. Um, I know that the series, you know, kind of did a few things different as, as many do. Anytime you have something that was taken from a book, they always kind of take a little bit of liberties, you know, to either make sense for TV or they kind of just make it a little bit different. They make it their own, whatever. But I almost, you know, would kind of like to... Um, to read them and just, you know, kind of have something to compare. But, I, you know, we were talking about Joe and you've talked a lot about, you know, um, has he done this before and, and, and how he does the things that he does or why he does them. And we've talked about how he's kind of clumsy at what he does, you know, when he was killing, you know, Benji and when he killed Peach and things like that. And there was an interview that I took some notes of. This is, I'm paraphrasing. I didn't do it word by word. I didn't copy and paste it because I was just writing it out. But from Sarah Gamble, who's the showrunner of You, um, that she was um, in an interview and they were asking about why she didn't show Beck's death on screen. Mm. And she says that in episode 10, they wanted to show it from Beck's point of view and show her experience. And by the time that we see her book, you know, when Joe is displaying her book in the store, we're now back in Joe's perspective and how he sees this as a romantic tragedy, um, a relationship that he couldn't save. Um, and then thinking, well, does Joe think about that moment when he killed Beck? And she says, probably not, you know, like he killed Peach one moment and then the next he's able to justify it and erase in his mind what he's done. Like he, he never fully admits that murder is on the table and that it's, And because of that, it's not premeditated and as clean as it should be. So, like, if he can admit what he was, he'd be better at murder. So, it's like he can't fully go there. Like, he does, like, he, what does he say, like, the entire time? I'm not a murderer. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a murderer. 
he's totally justifying everything that he's that he's done. Like when he's talking to Beck, you know, you mentioned earlier when he's showing his box of goodies, he's totally justifying everything that's in there. You know, the tank top, her panties. He's like, well, you're wearing my T-shirt. It's the same thing. It's a memento. And was that a tampon? Oh God, no! I don't. If there was, I was not paying attention. I there was not. something wrapped in like toilet paper that was bloody, and I'm pretty sure it was a tampon. Oh my God! I don't. Even, you know what? I'm not even going to go back and look because yeah. that's too much. Too much. Um, but he did have Benji's teeth. Um, Which, and and it was he said they were, but they were pretty old looking too. Well, it could have been because they burned them up. Yeah, he did I guess burn so, Benji's yeah. body. I guess it got him after he burned you know, them. That makes sense. Yeah, he's yeah, and I'm sure he took them because he can't leave them lying in a pile that someone might find. Yeah. Um, because then, of course, your teeth can be used for dental records, and then identify that that was Benji. Um, so it made sense why he did it, but it was so much like you know serial killers taking the mementos <laughs> from their. Mm-hmm you know, from their, their crimes and such. It was just, um, but he didn't have to keep them. You know, he's talking about all of these things, but it's like, dude, you didn't have to keep that stuff. You know, you you can dispose of it some other way. You can even grind them up and into, you know, to where they're unrecognizable and they couldn't be used um, for identification purposes and then trash them somewhere in the river. Go toss them in the Hudson after you've kind of grinded them up a little bit. Oh my God, I sound like I'm a freaking serial killer and all these. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking the same thing. I know. This whole, oh, I swear it's just because I watch a lot of true crime and I watch a lot of these things. Well, I think it's you could probably embedded. just drop them all in a can of Coke too, couldn't you? Like doesn't the acid in Coke, like if you put a tooth in there, like it chews it away in a day or two? Pretty much. I mean, isn't there, a, oh, and this could be just like an urban legend where someone would drop a nail and a can of Coke and it like completely dissolves the nail. In like, I thought I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's actually true or not, but I feel like that's a thing. Um, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's lots of different ways that you can, you know, I understand why he took them so you can't identify them. Um, but at the same time, I feel like you'd be like, okay, so I don't want to keep these teeth. I don't want to keep someone's teeth yeah. In a in a in a thing somewhere hidden away. I don't even want to think about having them. I'm gonna grind them up or I'm gonna crush them. He's got a what nice handy damn. mallet. Crush them up and bang them well, up so the you can't use them. He kept. Like it's like at that point it's when true. you get, even before you get her back, like get rid of all that stuff, you know? Exactly. Burn it, throw it away. Well, okay, and that was dumb too. So he had Beck's phone after they broke up and he's like, I'm gonna let you go. I'm even gonna like not stalk you anymore and he takes Beck's phone and um, smashes it and um, you know hides it away and it's like dude you could have erased it and sold it you could have completely just wiped that out Um, you know we all know how to do that right and then sold it why did you have to do that and then you end up getting caught with it that was dumb in my opinion anyway Um, so I don't know I, I, I don't know, but I, I yeah. am kind of excited for it. For I thought it was two. a good series. I, I kind of like getting through the last four like we did. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm, I'm interested to see what season two brings for sure. It's a, it's a, it's a, I'll watch type of scenario for me. Yes. I'm definitely going to be watching. Um, and at least see kind of where the story goes. I mean, 
I don't know. I, I saw today that there was another announcement to the cast. I don't know the guy's name. I don't have it in the news because I feel like this stuff's just kind of trickling out. I would rather wait till it gets a little bit closer, you know, to kind of then talk about it and stuff whenever it comes back. Um, so there was another announcement today, but I did remember like a few weeks ago and I posted it on our social media. I put the story out there. Um, the the which we talked about the the actress that played Nell, the adult Nell in Haunting yeah. Hill House has been cast. Victoria Pedretti, um, oh, she was absolutely wonderful. So I'm really excited to see her in in you season two. Um, I won't talk about you know as far as the role that she plays. If you're interested, you can go read the articles. You can look it up. But I don't want to get too spoilery um, as far as what's you know in store for season two. I'm trying to remain somewhat unspoiled myself because I haven't read the books and I don't really want to know too much as far as where the story is going or what it's about. I feel like I already know more than probably what I want to know. Um, but I really, really enjoyed the season as a whole. I really got swept into it. I mean, it, it was quite a thrill ride when I first heard about the se- about the series yeah. and I'd start watching it. And I mean, my daughter and I, we started it at the same time. Now she ended up passing me way up um but you know we we started it and then you i was like oh my gosh i really think that we should cover this talk to you about it we decided to cover it so i had to kind of pull back but she finished it way before me it was just really fun to get swept up in this and and um you know kind of seeing how everyone else got kind of swept into it too when and i even heard from people who were like this is totally not my type of show but i got swept in like everyone else did so that was super fun you know to hear as well because people that i never thought thought would have enjoyed it was like, yep, I got caught up just like everyone else did <laughs> on the internet. So that was super fun. Um, but yeah. So are there any kind of like follow-up notes or anything that you want to point out that we haven't covered from the last four episodes or just a series as a whole? No, I think we kind of touched on everything. I, yeah. I have a couple things I wanted to ask. Do you think Joe's responsible for Mooney's current state? Um, I pondered that myself. It seemed a little too convenient mm-hmm. that it happened about the same time that Candace was leaving. Um, I, I kind of assumed that maybe him doing something to Candace kind of pushed Mooney over the edge and that caused him to have a stroke. But mm-hmm. I could definitely see that he did something to him for sure. I feel like he's could be responsible for for his condition. I mean, I think it's a plausible story you know what he said, but I think he's somewhat responsible, whether directly or indirectly, but I feel like more directly he's responsible because Mooney knows what he did to Elijah for sure. So that's kind of another loose end. So I think it's possible. Um, Do you think that PI will come back around? Yes. I think he's definitely going to be in the the show for a bit. He, cause I mean, as he's reading uh, Beck's book, he's like, (laughs) bullshit. Bullshit. I know. He was not buying what Joe was selling, that's for sure. Um, so I'm trying to look at my other notes of what I had. Um, so back to uh, Mooney, the one thing I could think is that even if he did have something happen, that's, again, Joe using Mooney, kind of the spe- effect of saying, like, hey, if you tell what happened, mm-hmm. I'll burn all your books and burn your stuff down. Like, I could see there being some kind of, yeah. you know, if you don't do what I say, this is what's going to happen, Mooney. I, yeah. I, like I said, I think he's definitely responsible either directly or indirectly, you know, for his current condition. Um, 
one other thing that I thought was just interesting because I had to look it up when Beck said that she that they were invited to uh, whatever the Swedish word for house party um, for Blythe and Ethan. And I was like, oh, what what is that exactly? So I looked it up. The Swedish word for house party is an husfest. Hmm. Just for all of you inquiring minds, I know everybody's asking that question. That sounds <laughs> to, fun. And husfest. And husfest. It's two words. And husfest. Um, and it's fun. If you Google that, you know, you they even have like a little, you know, press play that you can hear the hear it for yourself so you know how nice. to pronounce it. Um, who doesn't love Google? Um, I think that's about it. The most of my other notes are kind of dogging on Beck, and I think I'm kind of <laughs> done with that. I think people have probably heard enough of me dogging Beth so, or Beck. Beth, where am I getting Beth? Um, dogging Guinevere Beck. Beckalicious. Um, so I think I'm done with that. So if you don't have any other notes or things that you'd like to add, then we'll move on to the news. I do have one item for news. I said I was going to kind of hold off on some of the news because so much of, you know, when you were looking things up, you're getting told the entire like ending and such. And we just wrapped this up. So this is an interview uh, from the New York times with showrunner Sarah Gamble, um, they ask, how does it feel to know that many women have watched you and say it rings really true to how they experience dating men? She says, well, on the one hand, it's a little creepy, isn't it? To know that so many people can relate to a show that's really about the bloodiest, worst case scenario of modern dating. One thing we were all excited to do was get in the writer's room and share our own stories. Accidentally dating potential actual serial killers aside, which is a fear I've always walked around with, we've all got horrible yet amusing stories, and we are all committed to grounding this story in some personal truth about how difficult this stuff can be to navigate. We put a lot of ourselves into the cringy details. She says, I'm a horror writer in my heart, and that I always like to ask myself what scares me and what scares us universally when I'm approaching a story. To me, there's just about nothing scarier than the truth that we can never really know another person. And nowhere is that writ larger than in romance. We're auditioning people to be the primary person in our lives, basically, and hoping that we somehow see into their true selves before we're in too deep. Seems more or less impossible, right? They ask her, and what part of makes Joe Goldberg so terrifying and resonant is that he sees himself as the good good guy. She says, for me, the most irksome phenomenon I've been observing lately isn't that old-fashioned, central, casting, misogynistic who says sexist, blatant stuff. There's also a more insidious type of mansplaining that comes from men who declare themselves progressive and allies who are effectively wearing a this-is-what-a-feminist-looks-like t-shirt. Maybe the intention is good. One could argue that Joe's intentions are good, but we all have to be careful anytime we think we know better than the person we're talking to, especially about what that person needs needs or how they should act or behave as a member of whatever group they're a part of. It's a red flag. That's what we get to explore through Joe, who genuinely believes he's a feminist and a good man. His actions come from a deep place of entitlement because he's confident that he should be helping Beck, though he hasn't asked her if she wants help. And he, in fact, believes he knows better than she does what she actually needs. I thought that was really spot on. Um, one last thing they say, right. He's not killing for the thrill of killing. He thinks all his behavior is justifiable in the pursuit of love. She says he hates violence and he finds it distasteful. He is a hot blooded romantic with a determination to find love rather than a man who loves killing from a technical perspective that shows already been made. Dexter. Mm. 
been a lot of comparisons with Dexter, but I really, yeah, yeah. but yeah, she's spot on. And I really liked the, what she had to say about, you know, the experience of dating men um, and the fears really, of that. It's really interesting. Like, we've kind of mentioned it before, but like the difference between a rom-com and a, and a, basically a horror movie is like a very thin line. <laughs> yes. Well, and I said it early on when we were talking, um, you know, the first couple episodes of the series is, you know, so many, it's what makes me so angry about rom-coms, you know, uh, so many of them are about control. Yeah. You know, and it's so dangerous that that is what is fed to women and young women about that. This is just standard, normal behavior that this guy that's trying to control you, it's romantic. You know, and he's doing it because he cares about you or loves you. And I feel that is so such a dangerous message to be sending out. And, you know, so it's so easy to see how you bet kind of falls into the, you know, the same kind of trap here. Um, but I like that she was at least standing up for herself there in the end and saying, you know, I didn't ask for any help. I didn't ask for you to, you know, um, you know, any of this. And um, at least she kind of, at least before she died, got a little say. <laughs> That's true. She got her monologue, that's for sure. She did get her monologue. Okay. Now we got some feedback. Do you want to take the first one from Doug? He's got, this is a two-parter. So this was some feedback for um, episodes seven and eight, and then the second part's from nine and 10. So I just put it all together. So this is from Doug Fick. So a stoned John Stamos therapist, fuck me gently with a chainsaw. (laughs) Heather's how delicious. And almost killed by his own letter opener. Did you notice that Doctor Uncle Jesse was not one, but two, has has not one but two masturbation pillows? <laughs> he must be doing well. OMG, Ethan, a tilt a whirl of Punani. Uh, <laughs> I want to go on that ride. <laughs> How many tickets do you need, and can you get a speed pass to get to the front of the line? Ethan and Blythe, the new power couple. We can call them Blathen. Like that. And is it just me or does Beck kind of suck right now? Liking Karen and her upfront attitude. And how did Beck catch her mouse with a Punani trap? <laughs> From Acme Punani Products, tuning the table or turning the tables on poor Joe. Not. Possible Beck Karen showdown, Beck Killer, SB a great finish. <laughs> And uh, so this is the second one. So first of all, my biggest question is, what is that mallet made of? I suppose it's made of the same material as the masturbation pillow. (laughs) Clearly not hard enough to do any serial cranial damage. And as far as I can count it, there were four blows to the head with the said mallet. Rock and bat, yet no one suffered a serious injury. These characters clearly drank their milk and took Flintstones chewables as children because their bones are a strong. I was really starting to like Beck as she was able to manipulate Joe, but girl, after you lock him in the glass toilet book room, you have the keys out, take the keys out of the lock, and then you run. Wait for the sentencing hearing for the lecture, and Paco, you little serial killer apprentice, <laughs> you have a bright future following in Joe's footsteps. Just focus on your strength training, and you could be a one-time-to-the-head killer. Uncle Joey Stamos, you are clearly to be popular in prison. I wonder what season two will focus on. Another obsession or Joe's journey eluding Justice and Candace. All in all, an enjoyable watch with some cliche moments. Nice body count for a former Lifetime show. Moving on next. Oh, that's awesome. Doug, you never fail to leave me in stitches. Thank you for all of that. I think everybody should get masturbation pillows. I think that's what we should give out for Christmas. With the Strange Indeed logo. (laughs) 
Um, next feedback is from Jonathan Blake. He says, I enjoyed it from beginning to end. Although I have to admit, if I had found this originated on Lifetime and both of you did not cover the show, then I would not have watched the series. I wouldn't either, Jonathan. Um, the whole time, Joe's character kept reminding me of Dennis Reynolds from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Oh, good call. Looking forward to the next series you cover. So I had... Um, told him, and I like I've said before, I haven't seen that. Have you watched It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Have you, are I've you familiar like with that character? Se- season eight, I think. Okay. Uh, but yeah, but Dennis is, it's more funny, but he definitely does have that kind of douchebaggery, controlling type thing. He's got like a whole like system of dating that he calls the Dennis system. I uh-huh. can't remember what all of them are, but they're basically kind of what Joe does to an extent. Okay. Well, I have not seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I've heard a lot of great things about it. I've heard about how funny it is. And my daughter absolutely loves it. And I've asked her, because I've, I've been watching some other shows and um, – you know, I'm kind of like, okay, so what should I watch next? I've been doing like this binge. Like I just finished The Leftovers. If you haven't seen The Leftovers, I'm just going to say you should watch that. It's definitely unique. It's fascinating and very different. I'll tell you that, but I enjoyed it thoroughly. I watched Mindhunters on Netflix. That was really great. Another recommendation for all you folks. Um, so I was like, okay, so I've been watching all this stuff. I think I need to like cleanse my brain a little bit as some of the dark and twisty stuff I've been watching. So I've been looking for something funny. And I asked my kiddo, I was like, well, I know you've seen this. What do you think? She says it's absolutely hilarious, but it's she's like it's all about like really terrible people. Like they're all yeah. really oh, yeah. bad people. people. But I love that. I love shows about terrible people that are funny. Like I loved Nip Tuck. Not that that was a funny show, but it had a lot of funny lines. Um, I love Shameless. You know, so many of those are, you know, just yeah. terrible, dysfunctional family. Sunny is kind of like a, a more funny uh, shameless, like shameless can get kind of depressing, I think to an extent, but uh, yeah, always sunny is more like dick and fart jokes to an extent. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love shows about terrible people and I, I know some of the actors in that show and uh, I think they're absolutely hilarious. So anyway, got a little sidetracked whenever he mentioned that show, but it made me curious and I just thought, Oh, how funny that I've actually been considering watching that show. And then he brings that up. So thank you, Jonathan, for that awesome feedback. We've also, um, as I mentioned, because we took the week off, some folks had already submitted their feedback for episodes seven and eight, and then we moved on to nine and 10. We're combining a lot of that. So we actually have two voicemails this week from our good friend, Steve Brown. We'll go ahead and start the one from seven and eight. Hi, Raymond Sean. It's Steve. And uh, just finished watching Everything Ship and uh, You Got Me, Babe, episodes seven and eight of you and want to send in a couple of things um the girl had the line about uh, none of us like peach but we loved her but that was uh, a little interesting a little deep into that uh idea of friendship there how you have those friends that are are annoying and that you wouldn't like them if you weren't if you didn't love them does that make sense and um I don't understand, you know, therapists are supposed to be pretty, pretty astute uh, of telling when people is lying. So it's really interesting, uh, unless we're going to see in later episodes, the fact that he knew all along or something like that, or just as he had so many patients, he didn't put it together that these two uh, had similar stories. And uh, it can't be right for a therapist to just blaze up in front of, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and especially if I got glaucoma that the drug to the patient that just didn't that didn't seem right to me um i laughed at karen's podcast line about uh, just get to the point 
And uh, at the end, <laughs> how does Karen, how does she know anything at all about Candace? Because he didn't talk to Beck all that much about Candace. If I remember correctly, I don't remember him talking to her a lot. The only reason she knew Candace even existed was because Peach knew her. And so how did Karen have that uh, information? So uh, maybe they talked a whole lot more than what we saw in those three months that they were together. And so she found, figured out uh, how close or what his relationship with Candace was like. And it looks like from the next episode, from episode nine's title, we're going to find out. Uh, talk to you later. That's awesome. Thank you, Steve, as always. So I thought the same. What did you think about Dr. Nikki firing up one right there during a session? A little inappropriate? I was more, I was more offended by the podcast line, personally. You know, hey, I was too. I was pissed. I was like, okay, Karen, you and I were friends for about five yeah. minutes and you had to go and diss uh, podcasts. So sorry. I wrote, Karen doesn't like podcast. We don't like Karen. We don't like Karen. Um, no, I was, I was very aggravated about that as well, but I thought it was really interesting. Dr. Nikki is, it's fine. Smoke weed. I'm not against smoking weed. I just feel like in a professional setting while you're having a session with a a patient, you probably shouldn't be firing one up. Um, save it either before or after, um, do it on your own time. You're on your patient's time. They're paying you for that time. Um, I don't know. I didn't like that, but he did seem to have later on, Maybe not so much during these episodes because he looked quite stoned. Like he was like sitting way back in his chair, had his head leaned way back from being completely stoned. Um, you know, so maybe not so much that episode, but I feel like he did have some pretty good insight later when we were getting, you know, more insight into more sessions that Beck and uh, Joe were having with the therapist um, separately. I thought he had some decent insight and actually had some good advice. So I was actually kind of surprised that he did considering he's, you know, firing it up during a session. So anyway, and then if you haven't already figured it out by now, Steve, because then we've already watched the last two episodes, um, because I was confused as well and I had to kind of go back. Karen learns about Candace because Joe talks in his sleep. So she doesn't know the full story, but she is getting the fact that um, something happened to her based on the fact that Joe talks in his sleep and she's a light sleeper. I was confused on that one at first too. So we have another voicemail from Steve for episodes nine and ten. Hey, Sean, room it's Steve, and I was just just finished watching the season finale or the first season finale of You episode ten, and wanted to send in a couple quick thoughts. Um, when they did the previously on with episode nine and Karen's line, uh, "You sleep deeper than I do," I must have missed that the first time I watched the last episode. Because that that would totally explain why she knows anything about Candace at all. Loved the, the Game of Thrones uh, reference and, and the, the Harry Potter reference there. Um, that reveal about Mooney uh, was really great. That We've all kind of suspected that Mooney was kind of his mentor into killing and stuff. And so that, that was, that was a, a cool reveal to get uh, his justifying to back there at the end and even as we heard in his final voiceover he was kind of justifying everything he did uh, eventually so uh, the return of candace did not su- it, it it didn't surprise me completely when uh, you know the reveal that beck was dead and as soon as we see the door open and you see the woman walking in i thought to myself oh that's got to be candace i don't it's gonna be interesting to see what the explanation is for season two as far as what happened after 
because, you know, we got the quick flashback scene of him grabbing her in the same way that he grabbed Beck, and we thought maybe uh, he had killed Candace. So, but in reality, we only have the deaths of Ron, Elijah, Peach, and Benji really to pin on him right now, uh, unless there's others that we don't know about. Uh, can't wait to hear what you guys thought of the, the whole um, season as a, as a whole, the, the whole series, and uh, can't wait to see what season two is going to bring us. Talk to you later. Awesome. As always, yeah, I knew he'd figure it out. Yeah, I actually, it took me a second to realize it was Candace when I first saw her. I thought it was uh, the girl from the um, Haunting of Hill House at first, because I knew mm-hmm. she was going to be in season two. And uh, for a second, I'm like, oh, wait, that, I, oh, no, nope, that's Candace. Sorry, because they kind of look a little similar. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. And, and we do know, I didn't have it in my news, I did already kind of mention it in one of our other episodes that it has been renewed for season two. No um, release date yet, um, for season two. I do know, I don't think this is spoilery because we already know the first season is based off of the book. There was a second book in this series by the same writer called hidden bodies that, Hmm. um, I guess is where season two is going to go. I haven't read it. I don't know anything about it or what happens, but if you're interested, you can go pick it up and then maybe you'll have some insight if you want to kind of have some insight as to what's going to happen or if you're just interested in the books, um, altogether. But so yeah, that's about all I'm going to say. You can always read more if you want to be spoiled. I'm trying to remain slightly spoiler free, although that's difficult. So thanks everyone so much for your feedback. There's been so much fun interaction and feedback on this show. I'm going to miss watching it because it's, it's, this show just doesn't get old with the title of it called you. And someone's yeah. like, Oh, what are you watching? You, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just so many. You think that was done on purpose? I don't know. What are you know. watching? I'm watching you. Be- well, I think so because it sounds really stalkery and obsessive when you say it. People kind of look at you like if they haven't heard yeah. of the show and they're kind of like, uh, what? Um, so it's always kind of funny that that play on the title, um, you know, and I've kind of used that in some of our posts and things for feedback, you know, kind of having some fun with it. So I'm going to miss <laughs> that part of it for sure, having some fun with it. So, but we've had some really fun listener feedback and I thank everyone so much you know, for interacting with us and having fun, you know, with the show. And we look forward, uh, you know, to you joining us on the next one. Yeah. Thanks everybody. So I know we took last week off and unfortunately, uh, we're going to be taking another week off. Mm -hmm. If you haven't heard, uh, I am actually going on a brocation with my buddy, Richard. Uh, we are going to go to Red Bank, New Jersey, to see all things Kevin Smith, which is kind of one of our big inspirations. So uh, we, we're planning on documenting the whole trip. So if you're not following my uh, Language Bromance Twitter and Instagram, check that out because uh, should be posting a bunch of stuff as we go on that journey, which would be pretty cool. But uh, the following week, we are going to be covering the new Netflix TV series, The Umbrella Academy. So the first episode for the show is titled, We Only See Each Other at Weddings and Funerals. Which to me sounds like an awesome album title. I think if, you, if you're putting album titles out there, I think so. I I love that title so much, and makes me even more intrigued to watch the the series. So the description of this episode is: Years after they rose to fame as young crime fighting superheroes, the estranged Hargreaves siblings come together to mark their funeral, their father's death. I'm super stoked about covering the Umbrella Academy. There's a ton of buzz around the show. I'm hearing so many great things. Um, I think TV, the TV Time app, has it. Um, the show on its third consecutive week, the number one binge show. 
Oh, nice. For the week. So third time in a row for this one. So I thought that was super fun hearing lots of great things. I don't really know too much about it, which I'm happy because I, I like to go in unsullied and unspoiled. So hope hope you guys join us for the Umbrella Academy. And we also are really excited for you to follow us into the book basement. But until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Strange TCast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash StrangerTCast. And you can check us out on Instagram at strange underscore indeed underscore pod. And you can email us at strangerthingscastpod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. And you can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts at podcastica.com. Make sure you go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed and any of the other great Podcastica podcasts on Apple Podcasts. So many great things happening at Podcastica. Um, And speaking of great podcasts, make sure to check out Sean and his other podcast, The Language of Bromance. It comes out every Sunday. Sounds like you guys got some fun things coming ahead. Yeah, 22-mile journey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. 2,200-mile journey, sorry. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, that's our show, Episode 79, Everything Ship, You Got Me, Babe, Candace, and Bluebeard's Castle. That's a mouthful. But until next time. That's what she said. (laughs) Oh, my God. You had to get one last one in on me. (laughs) I love it. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And Jonathan Blake is strange indeed.